With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You are listening to Any Given Sunday, a part of the Dead End Podcast Network. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, and all other podcasting services. Please make sure you check out Dead End Hip Hop, Dead End Sports, Dead End Gaming, Is the Mic Still On, Chris Platt's Strictly Hip Hop and Hoops Talk, and a host of other shows on our podcast network. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. For Sunday, April 14th, 2019, this is Any Given Sunday. I'm your host, Manny Brown. What's up, everyone? Glad to be back on the show. Sorry for no podcast last week. As you guys know, I was uh, I was in the great state of New York slash New Jersey, uh, enjoying the WrestleMania festivities. Uh, so I'll get into that as we uh, move along here today. Um, hopefully, you guys had a happy, safe, blessed week. A better week than I had, of course, as you guys know. If you follow me on Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram, um, you guys know the hellacious week that United Airlines put me through. Um, I will not leave this podcast without talking about how horrible United Airlines is. So I'll definitely get into that here shortly. Um, my guest this week is Dalvin Osorio. He is a contributor, writer, podcaster on the Turn On Jets podcast and digital network. Uh, you can find him on there. He is a co-host of uh, What's Your Point and Draft Season, all which all which are available anywhere you can find podcasts for free, as well as on the uh, Turn On Jets podcast network. Um, he's a great guy. Uh, been following each other for a while, been covering his work for a while, and uh, just wanted to have him on the show. Uh, our schedules haven't been able to line up, but uh, we finally were able to get something set up this weekend. And uh, yeah, man, I think you guys will definitely enjoy that um that interview that i have with him here uh shortly um it's just it's really really dope he's a really dope guy really insightful um smart just a dope guy i think he's a great guest great get so i I hope you guys enjoy that conversation man but um as far as me man i feel like i've been out of it it's it's weird because like when you don't do a podcast for a week it feels like you almost miss everything. The last show we had, obviously, we had Cameron on the show. And uh, shout out to Cameron for joining me again on the podcast. And uh, that was actually a well-received. And uh, the reception I've gotten for that show has been amazing. So shout out to Cam and shout out to everybody that uh, that uh, sent me messages and uh, and uh, just, just feedback on that show, man. It's been really, really, really dope to see so many people like the show. So I definitely appreciate it. But uh, yeah, man, I feel like I feel like since the last time we did a podcast, I feel like I've missed so much. Obviously, the start of the NBA playoffs has begun. The Major League Baseball regular season has begun. Uh, we won't get into Duke, but uh, <laughs> the college basketball season has ended. Is Virginia one of the luckiest national champions to ever win a national championship. Think about it. Like, think about how many times Virginia should have, like, legit have lost that tournament. Like, they could have easily lost to Oregon. They should have lost to Purdue. They should have lost to Auburn. And hell, even, I can make an argument even against Texas Tech, they should have lost. But yeah, shout out to Virginia, man, that little school in Blacksburg. Um, or in Charlottesville, whatever, wherever they're located, whatever, whatever little Timbuktu town they're located. Shout out to them. They won a national championship. Uh, congrats to them. 
Um, yeah, the Major League Baseball season is, is on and rocking. We'll definitely get into the Major League Baseball season next week. Um, I have a couple guests that uh, I have in mind for next week's show. We're going to get into the Major League Baseball and, and the start of the season and um, everything that we need to know there. Um, so far, so good. Uh, some teams that are off to some struggles that are surprising. I think the Red Sox have surprised a lot of people in the way that they've struggled. Um, their pitching has been terrible. Um, I, I, I'm not worried about the Red Sox. I think the Red Sox, I mean, they were due. I mean, it was just it was just law of averages that the Red Sox were going to have a little bit of a slow start, a little bit of a World Series hangover. Um, they played so well for so long last year that you just had to know that this year was just going to be, it was just going to be a come down. I, I, I still have confidence in them. I still love the man. I still love that team. I think the pitching is still pretty good. And <clears throat> I know that those guys didn't pitch a lot in spring training. So that's that's been used as the narrative to, of sorts to explain the, the, the slow start. I, I still have confidence that the Red Sox will figure it out. Uh, the Yankees are off to a slow start as well. They've had a ton of injuries and uh, it will, we'll never cry. We'll never cry tears of sorrow for the Yankees or Yankee fans, but uh, they're off to a little bit of a slow start. I think the team that I would be the most concerned about if I'm a fan of them is the Cubs. I don't love the way the Cubs have looked. I don't love the way the Cubs have played. I didn't like the, I didn't like the Cubs all go, going into the offseason. I didn't understand how so many people had picked the Cubs to go make it back to a World Series and so many people were high on the Cubs. I'm like, they really didn't improve that team from last year. That team collapsed late last year. They really didn't improve them. They still need a bullpen. Their bullpen is terrible. And I don't even love their rotation. You know, Lester's still good, but, you know, eventually Lester's going to, you know, show his age. Cole Hamels is not the pitcher he used to be. And then Quintana is Quintana. He's a nice pitcher, but he's, you know, he's a he's on a really great team. He's a, he's a number three, number four starter. And, you know, Kendricks is okay. And you Darvish is has been another waste of, of waste of money. I mean, yo, I love Theo and Theo's the GOAT, but damn, you know, Theo has a lot of L's on his resume when it comes to free agency. He does. I mean, I, I, I still can't forgive Theo for that contract he gave Jason Hayward. Like this man gave Jason Hayward $184 million, bro. Like I, man, Theo, Theo gets a pass, bro. Cause if Theo did not have those two championships, Two important championships. Well, I should say three. Two with the Red Sox and three, and one with the Cubs. If he didn't have those two championships, mainly though, the, the 04 Red Sox and then the 2016 Cubs, like Theo would be getting flamed, flamed in Chicago. Because some of those free agent acquisitions have not been great. Tyler Chatwood hasn't been great. Jason Hayward, we talked about. And you Darvish is the next in line. He's been fucking terrible. And I told you guys this on the on the old iteration of the show that I thought that contract was terrible. You Darvish? Did he not watch? Did Theo not watch the World Series last year? That year? Did he not watch how you Darvish basically, if you had to if you had to assign blame for why the Dodgers lost to the Astros, you Darvish would probably be number one. I mean, he was non-competitive in the two games he started. Non-competitive. I Yeah, I, I would have never given you Darvish that money, but hey, whatever. In Theo's imminent wisdom, he saw something that we didn't. So, we'll, we'll you know, whatever. But the Cubs are off to a slow start. Uh, I would be a little concerned if I'm a Cubs fan. Um, everything else is pretty much still too early to call. I mean, the Rays are off to a good start. My Mets have looked pretty good. I, I've been, I, I'm, I'm trying to keep my excitement with the Mets measured because obviously we know what happened last year. They started out 11 and one. I thought that last year was going to be one of those magical years and it just completely blew up in our faces. And as you know, being a Met fan, um, we expect, we expect the worst at any moment. So today could be the day or last night could have been the start of a 12 game losing streak and the season's over. Like I, so I'm just trying to keep my, my expectations on the Mets tempered and measured. And I'll just say we've played really well. I like the way we've looked. 
the pitching's still coming around a little slowly, but for the most part, I, I think that we've played very well. The offense has been great. Um, but yeah, man, like I said, I'm not going to get too excited. I'm not going to come on here and wax poetic about how great the Mets are. I'm going to keep that shit tabled for another day. I'm at least let them get through April. If they get through April relatively healthy um, and relatively well playing, then we'll start to talk, you know, but right now I'm not going to get excited about the Mets. They got to show me some after, after 11 and one last, last year. And then basically collapsing for two months. Like I got to wait and see with the Mets. That's just me. That's just me. I got to wait and see, but yeah. So the Mets are playing well. Yankees, Red Sox off the slow starts. The Cubs, I'd be concerned about. Um, Mariners, you know, until this weekend, we're playing at an all-time level. They've kind of come back down to earth a little bit. The Astros have beat them up the last couple nights. But, you know, so we'll see if the Mariners, for for, for our local fans, are, are legit. Got to think that they're eventually going to come back down to the pack, right? I mean, the Mariners are supposed to be an in-between team rebuilding, so I don't think the Mariners are going to stay hot. I think they're, I think they had their run. I think they're starting to, I think they're starting to come back to the pack a little bit now that the Astros have kind of put them in their place the last two nights. So we'll see. But uh, that's it with the world of baseball, man. And then of course the NBA playoffs. Uh, yesterday was a good sign for the NBA because I, I was worried about the NBA first time with no LeBron in the playoffs in you know what 16 years. I think the ratings are going to take a little bit of a hit. Um, um, you know, but yesterday you had some good basketball. You really had some good basketball yesterday. Outside of the Warriors, uh, outside of the Warriors um, Clippers game, and I don't know anybody who thought that was going to be a competitive series. I mean, please, the Warriors are not going to lose the Clippers. The Clippers are not touching the Warriors. I mean, the Clippers will be lucky, lucky that they get a game in that series. You know, Patrick Beverly can do all the antics he wants, but at the end of the day, the Warriors are just too much of a oil and machine. They're not. They're you know, the Clippers are not touching them. But I thought yesterday was a good game, a, a, a good day of basketball for the NBA. I mean, I, I thought they had you know four you know they had what three really good games um and um you know i think the the one that stands out the most obviously is that toronto raptors uh the toronto raptors orlando magic game that was a hell of a game that was a great playoff game uh back and forth you know swings sw- you know changing leads swing of emotions back and forth i i just love that game and uh, orlando pulled it out i actually thought orlando was going to be in trouble in that game i thought when toronto you know took the lead late late in the fourth quarter there i thought toronto was going to find a way to pull it out they didn't and and that's the thing about toronto man you know same you know different year same results you know, a little bit of a different roster, different coach, you know, but the same thing with Toronto. I just, I don't, there's just something about that team that they're just missing something. I don't know what it is. I just, I can never, I can never get full on, fully on board with the Raptors. It's just something about that team that I just don't love in big spots. I, I don't know if they're just, I don't know if they're just not built for playoff competition. I, I just don't know what it is. I just don't love the Raptors. I, I really don't. You know, a, a, a team like the Raptors, the level of experience that they have, the players that they have on that team. Siakam is great. Like I love, you know, Pascal Siakam. I mean, the dude is a beast. Um, Leonard, I have my issues with Leonard, but Leonard's great. Uh, you know, for the amount of talent and the experience that that team has, they should not lose to the, to the to Orlando Magic the way that they did last night. I mean, they just shouldn't. They just they just shouldn't. Um, look, the Magic played well. And the Magic are a nice nice story. They've played really well since the All Star break. But you know, the Raptors should run through them. And they might still, you know, they might win the next four games. You know, they might win the next four games and sweep Orlando after after last night. But, you know, if I'm a Raptors fan, I'd be concerned. I would just say that, you know, I'd be concerned that the Raptors are up to their old tricks again. You know, you can't blame LeBron this year. You can't blame LeBron this year. And you can't put all the blame on DeMar DeRozan. He's not playing on your team anymore. So, you know, it can't just be, oh, well, we're running up against LeBron and DeMar DeRozan's not a superstar. Those those angles can't be used anymore. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Raptors respond. 
in game two. Um, but that was a hell of a game. Um, obviously, the Sixers embarrassed themselves. That's another team that I never trust. I don't trust the coach. I don't trust Embiid. I don't trust Ben Simmons. You know, Ben Simmons gets a pass. Ben Simmons gets a pass. You know, all I, as a Laker fan, everybody always likes to joke about Lonzo and he can't shoot and he's a terrible offensive player and blah, 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 and Lonzo this and Lonzo that. To me, Ben Simmons has gotten a pass for a while now. And I think he's finally starting to kind of get ripped. But Ben Simmons did not play great. Did not play great again in the playoffs. I, you know, I would be a little worried if I'm a Sixers fan as well that Ben Simmons, this has now become a trend now with Ben Simmons. You know, he didn't play well last year. And he played well in the Miami series for the most part. But against the Celtics last year, he didn't play well. And then this year, you know, to start out, he didn't play well against the fucking Nets. And I would be a little concerned. And it's time that Ben Simmons now starts getting fucking ripped. He's a, he, you know, Ben Simmons, you know, that team has a lot to say. The Sixers and Bede and Simmons, they have a lot to say. You know, the ben, you know, ben Simmons and Joel Embiid talk like they've won four championships, and they ain't, they ain't done shit. They haven't done a goddamn thing. And if they don't get their acts together, the Nets are going to beat their asses in this series. I guarantee you that. Because the Nets are not intimidated. The Nets have a really good team. Young, upstart. They're not afraid of the moment. They actually, they actually I, just from watching that game, I actually think the Nets feel like they can play with Philly. They're not intimidated by them. And if they don't get their acts together, they're going to find themselves home a lot earlier than they than they had expected. So Philly better watch out. I don't care about the, the cell phone thing. I mean, it is what it is. It's a, it's a bad look. when you. I mean, if you don't understand why it's a big deal, look, you, you, you can't you can't be losing a game at home in the playoffs where you're you, where you basically been blown out the entire game and a cell phone comes out on the bench. You just can't you can't have that. Is it a big deal? Is it an international incident? You know, do we need an act of Congress involved, you know, to, to get involved? No, it's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. If the Sixers were up by 30, I don't think it would be as huge of a deal. But, you know, you can't lose a playoff game at home when you're a three seed the way that they lost it and the cell phone comes out on the, in, on the bench area. It just can't, I, you know. Whether you want to believe that, you know, Amir Johnson's daughter was sick and they were just talking, you know, checking up on updates for her, you know, whatever. I'm not there. You're not there. We're not all there. Who knows? We got to take them at their word still. You, you, you can't do that. You can't do that. And Joel B needs to know better. He's the leader of that team. He's the face of that franchise. You know, you got to know better. Got to know better. You know, I, I, you got to know better. Again, is it a huge deal? Is it a big deal? No, it's not. It's not. In the grand scheme of things, it's not. If they lose this series, is it going to be because they pulled out a cell phone in game one while they were getting blown out? No, no. But it's just something that just can't happen. It can't happen. You can't be smiling on the bench when you're being blown out by 15. You can't be smiling on the bench pulling out cell phones when you're losing a game to a 60, a team that you have no business losing to. So two teams that would, you know, would instantly, instantly are driving the narrative in the playoffs early on is the Sixers and the Raptors. And I would be concerned if I'm a fan of both those teams. I really would be. I would be concerned. I was not impressed yesterday by what I saw about both those teams. And I don't want to hear about, oh, you know, the playoffs. And and again, they may still win those series. And I still expect them both to win those series. But if I'm a fan of either one of those teams, I would be a little concerned going deep into these playoffs with those teams. Because I, I don't think, I just don't think Philly's that good. They have talent, but I just, there's something about them that just, they don't mesh. They haven't meshed well. Embiid is hurt. And Simmons has not played well. And again, it's time to start taking Embiid to Tasho. Like for real. Let's start, let's start killing Joel Embiid. Or not Joel Embiid. Let's start taking Ben Simmons to Tash. And let's start killing him. He has not played well. And again, after the game, well, you know, if you boo us, you know, you're on their side. Shut up. Shut up. Shut the fuck up. Shut up. First of all, somebody should tell him, Ben, that's a battle you're not gonna win. You're not gonna take on the fans and you think you're gonna win that. You're not winning that. Those fans had every right to boo that performance yesterday by the, Philly, by, the by the Sixers. They had every right to boo. 
And then what do you what do we say about Kyle Lowry? Like, I feel like Kyle Lowry is almost too much of a punchy bag at this point now. Like, what what do you say about Kyle Lowry now at this point? That hasn't been said. The fact that Kyle Lowry makes $33 million a year, it, 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 it's it's sickening. It's sickening. Kyle Lowry, I've said it year in, year out. It's, I feel like I've been saying this for like the last five years now. No team, I repeat, no team with Kyle Lowry as their starting point guard is ever going to win a champion, an NBA championship. They should have traded. I, I feel like they should have traded him before they should have traded DeRozan. And I'm not a big DeRozan fan, but he's as much been a, a problem for that team and that franchise as DeMar DeRozan ever was. He's just not that good. He's a nice, solid NBA player. He's a good player, very good player. But he's just one of those guys that when the lights are on bright, when the calendar turns to April, I'd never trust and I'm sure he'll play better in game two. I'm sure he'll play better. He'll come out and, you know, he'll do, you know, he'll do the prototypical, he'll do the prototypical Kyle Lowry thing. He'll come out game two, you know, he'll score 35 points, you know, have eight to nine assists and everybody will be like, oh, you see Kyle Lowry? And you'll be sucked into believing that Kyle Lowry now has put all his playoff woes behind him. And then what happens? Game three, game four, he'll fall apart again. Or the next series, he'll fall apart again. It's just typical Kyle Lowry. Typical Kyle Lowry. A guy that makes $33 million a year. I need to know who his agent is. I, I swear I need to know who his agent is. Because that man is a real MVP. The fact that he's been, been able to finesse the Raptors out of that much money over the last few years is just amazing to me. It really is. It's just amazing to me. I'm not even going to get into I just not going to even continue with Kyle Lowry. Because he's just he's too easy at this point to pick on. He's too easy. He's too easy to pick on at this point. Like, wh- what else do you say about Kyle Lowry that hasn't been said? He's a choke artist. He's been a choke artist. And the fact that he's getting $33 million is just it, just something about it that just doesn't, doesn't, man, that just, yeah. So I'm glad to see that the, uh, I'm glad to see that the uh, Raptors are up to their old tricks again. It's it just, it's, it's wonderful. And then the Spurs pulled out a tough road win last night against Denver. Um you know, the Spurs do what the Spurs do. They, you know, they figure out a way to win in the playoffs. And, you know, I, I still don't have high hopes for them. I think this team is 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 not as good as they used to obvi- used to be, obviously. Um, I still expect Denver to win this series, but I don't know. I don't know. I think the Spurs believe. I think the Spurs are confident. I think the Spurs feel like they have the experience over Denver. Um, I'd be concerned. I'd be a little concerned if I'm a Denver fan just because they're young. They've never been in this situation before. The problem, the interesting thing with Denver is it's like usually there's a natural progression with teams as they advance into the playoffs. Like a team like Denver would start out as a, maybe a seven seed or an eighth seed in the playoffs, gain a little experience. And then the next year they have that 50 plus win trajectory where, you know, they're a two seed and they're expected now to, to take on the next step. You know, Denver really went from a team that was what the ninth seed last year, a team that barely missed the playoffs to now being a two seed. That's a huge jump. That's that's a huge jump in wins. That's a huge jump in productivity. And it's also a huge jump in expectation. Now, Denver can't just look at it like, oh, you know, we're a bunch of young guys. We don't know what we're doing. You know, we're just happy to be here. And, you know, oh, shoot, if we win, great. Like, yay. Like, no, like you're a two seed. You won 50 plus games. Like you're expected now to, at the very least, get to a conference semifinal. So it's going to be interesting to see Denver. Denver, I would be very concerned if I'm a Denver fan. I, well, I shouldn't say that. I, I'd be concerned. I wouldn't be very concerned because I still think they'll beat the Spurs. I just think talent-wise, I just think they'll they'll just have more talent than the Spurs right now. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Spurs, if nothing else, the Spurs are going to play hard. I think the Spurs know that they've got this team in the experience factor. And I think the Spurs are going to play hard. They're going to play well. 
They match up well against the Nuggets. So I, I would be somewhat concerned, but I still think the, never, the Nuggets will pull it out. But if yesterday was any indication, it definitely shows me that the Spurs are going to be in this series. I, I expect this series to be long. I could definitely see this series being six games. As far as everything else in the NBA playoffs, look, I, I don't do NBA preview, NBA playoff previews. You know, I've done them the last few years, but this year, I mean, barring barring an act of God or barring something crazy happening, the Warriors are going to repeat as champions. I mean, let's be honest. We 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 know this now, right? We we know this now. I know some of my friends. I know I know I know some of you out there have some faint hopes that maybe the the Rockets will be able to do it, especially if they meet them in the second round this year. But but I'm sorry. No, you're going to have to convince me that the Rockets are going to be. First of all, they're not as good as they were last year. They're just not. And now instead of meeting them in the conference sem- in the conference finals, you're meeting them in the conference semis, and you don't have home field advantage. So, hey. Believe that if believe that if you will, for those of you out there, you know that you know who you are that believe the Rockets are destined to be champions this year. I don't see it. So barring an act of God or an injury or something crazy happening or a complete just complete utter meltdown in a series, I just don't see the Warriors losing. They're, nobody in the West is beating them, um, and then nobody in the East is beating them. Really, honestly, I don't think though. I, I, I matter of fact, I'll say this: I don't think the Warriors. I think the Warriors will play one six game series in this entire playoffs. That's it. I don't think they'll play a six game series in this round. Obviously, I don't think they'll play a six game series the next round. I don't, I, I, I'm calling, I'm calling it right now. I don't think they'll play six games in, against the Rockets next, next round. And that's if the Rockets gets past the jazz. There's no guarantee they'll get past the jazz either. So let's not get ahead of ourselves, but I don't think they'll play a six game in the next series. And in the conference semis against most likely Portland, because I think Portland's going to be Oklahoma city. They may play a six-game series, maybe, just maybe. Even that one, I'm not sure. I don't think they'll play a six-game series in the entire in the entire Western Conference. And then in the NBA Finals, they might play a six-game series, just because I have I have respect for Boston, who I would pick to get out of the get out of the East. The Marcus Smart injury does scare me, though. I think that's a huge injury. That's an that's low key a big time injury for them. Um, but they're so deep. They have so many guys that I think they can they can possibly withstand. Although Marcus Smart does so many things for that team. So many things that don't get measured on the stat sheet that would concern me. But I think they still have enough talent where they can get past it. But um, that would be my my pick to get back, get out of the East is the Celtics still. Um, we'll see what the Bucks do. I'm interested to see what they do and how they perform with all the pressure on them now. Or... I wouldn't say pressure, but added eyes and added expectations on them. They're similar. They're they're similar to me that, to Denver, although they had the trajectory that I talked about. You know, you know, Milwaukee was a seventh or an eighth seed for a couple years, and then they took that that leap this net this year into being a top seed. So they've at least had some playoff experience. So I wouldn't be. Cons- I'm not as concerned with Milwaukee as I am with Denver, but they're kind of in a similar boat to Denver. Um, but that would be my team coming out of the East. And the Warriors and the Celtics, it'd be a good series. Uh, you know, th- that that would probably be the six-game series they'd play is against the Celtics. If they played the Sixers, I don't think the Sixers, if the Sixers, first of all, I don't have confidence that the Sixers are going to be the Nets. So against the, against the Warriors, I definitely have no confidence. So that wouldn't be a six-game series. Against the Raptors, hell no. And even against the Bucs, you know, I don't think so. The only team that's going to give them a shot, a real challenge to me, in an NBA Finals, the Celtics. That's it. And even that one's questionable to play to go five or to go six. So yeah, man. You know, an act of God is what's going to take. So 
But yeah, that, that's my little, that's my little, my mini NBA preview. Um, shout out to Tiger Woods. He's back. He's back. Tiger is back. He just won the Masters. Uh, his first Master, his first major championships is 2000, what, 2008, I believe. 2008, first major championship. Um, yeah, it's an amazing. You know, Tiger's been through a lot. You know, I, I, I for one... Started to lose hope in Tiger Woods. I'm like, man, he's got 14 majors. He needs, you know, he needs six more to pass uh, uh, Nicholas. So we'll see. We'll see. And I kept saying, we'll see. We'll see. And But I, I always had faith that he figured it out. And then it's gotten to a point where I was like, man, you know, with the surgeries, with the injuries, um, you know, he's 41 years old now. Who knows if he's ever going to get back to that level? Um, so I started losing hope in Tiger, but you know he's looked good. You know, last year he had a really good year. Um, so there was a lot of expectation for Tiger going into this year. If he stays healthy, if he continues to play the way that he's playing, um, that he could possibly win one. Nobody, I don't think anybody expected the Masters, but here we are. He, he won the Masters. So salute to Tiger Woods. Salute to him, man. Hope, uh, golf needs it. Golf needs it in the worst way possible. You know, you know they've got guys like uh, Dustin Johnson and Spieth and. Uh, you know, guys that can, you know, that, that are, that are great players, but they don't move the needle. They don't, they're not guys that are going to make me and, you know, ca- you know, I'm a casual golf fan. Like I watch the majors, but I'm not a golf fan that goes out there and, you know, plays the game every day and, you know, follows the sport on a day by day basis, 365 days a year. I'm a casual observer. Like I know what's going on. I, you know, I know what's going on in all the major championships, you know, tours and, and, and I keep, I keep an eye on the sport, but I'm not, I'm not there every day. I'll be honest. But guys like Dustin Johnson, Spieth, McElroy, who's who's tremendously overrated, um, you know those guys don't move the needle. They're great players, they're talented, but they're not they're not guys that move the needle. They don't move the needle in the way Tiger does, and that's for a lot of, and for a variety of reasons. So the sport definitely needs. I, if, if you don't think executives on CBS and the PGA are just fucking clapping right now like ecstatic as they can be right now and you're crazy they're happy as fuck right now that tiger woods is back and that he won a major because now this carries the sport for the next this carries the sport into the summer with the u.s open with the british open the pga championships i mean this carries the sport now for the next next few months because now everybody's gonna say well you know if tiger got the Masters, you know, how well is he going to do in the U.S. Open? How well is he going to do in the British Open? How well, you know, there's no Ryder Cup this year. You know, how well is he going to do in, in the PGA Championship? Like, this carries the sport now for the next couple months. So, yeah, shout out to Tiger, man. Shout out to Tiger. It's glad to have him back. As a sports fan, it's glad to have him back winning major championships. He drives the narrative. He moves the needle. Um, and I honestly think that he's more humble. He's, he's actually more, he's a guy that you could root for more now that he's actually gone through the struggles, that he's gone through the ups and ups. You know, the up and down, the ups and downs. Um, then in the past when he was just so dominant and he just seemed like a fucking robot, like it just, it just did, you know, because you know, that was my issue with Tiger. It was like, yo, is he, is he someone that you just can relate to? You know what I mean? Is he someone that, is, you know, he doesn't almost seem human. He's so fucking good. He was so, he was that much better than everybody else at his peak that, you know, it was almost kind of hard to get into him. It was like, damn, this dude is almost too good. It's like, there's no, there's no, there's just there's no vulnerability there with Tiger, and I think the last decade, almost a decade since his struggles really began, you know, he's he's you know he's had to humble himself a little bit. So I think it's going to be interesting how the golf world and fans alike respond to him. If 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 Twitter and the sports world now is anything to 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 uh, you know to take you know to take uh, notice of uh, the 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 reception of it has been great and uh, good for Tiger Woods and good for golf, man. And, I, and good for sports, because I think we needed Tiger Woods back. So shout out to Tiger Woods, man. Shout out to Tiger Woods. 
as far as my WrestleMania experience, man, WrestleMania weekend uh, last weekend, it was great, man. First and foremost, I got to see some family. Uh, so it's always great to to be back home, uh, be with family. Got to go back home to Brooklyn, uh, which was, it's always great. It's always awesome. Um, the weather was weird as fuck. The weird, the, you know, everybody talks about places and how different places are weird as fuck. Dog, the weather in New York is so fucking crazy. So the night I got there, the day I got there, I got there, I, I left here Thursday night. I took a red eye, got to Brooklyn or got to New Jersey because I flew into Newark. I got to New Jersey at um, basically seven in the morning. You know, I, you know, get off, you know, get off the plane, get my bags, you know, get my rental, all that. I leave the airport. So by the time I get to my cousin's house, it's about 8.45, 9 a.m. in the morning. And it's 40 degrees outside. It's cold. And mind you, we've been having unseasonably warm weather here in the Pacific Northwest for the, you know, the two weeks leading up to when I left last Thursday. So, you know, for like two and a half, three weeks almost, you know, we've had weather in the 60s, you know, outside of like maybe one day or two days, it rained. You know, it's been sunny. It's been sunny throughout. So the weather's been great up here. So of course I go back to New York and it's rainy, it's cold, wet, 40 degrees. So that whole day is just crap. Um, And I go to NXT TakeOver. And at the Barclays, first time being at the Barclays, I was impressed with the arena. Great arena. Um, you know, so obviously we go to NXT TakeOver. TakeOver is a great show. Um, awesome show. Probably the show of the weekend. I didn't, I didn't do Wale Mania. I didn't do some of the indie shows. Um, I didn't do the New Japan, uh, the G1 show on Saturday night. I heard that show was pretty good. Um, but you know, from the two shows, obviously TakeOver was probably the better show. Um, but after that, after the night was over or whatever, and just being out in the weather, you know, being out in the streets and, and just chilling, hanging out. I mean, it was fucking freezing out. You know, I think the weather, the temperatures got down to about 37. It was sleet in, in some areas. So it was just nasty. Of course, Saturday, it's 60 or 60. I think it was like 64, 65, somewhere around that mid 60s. Sunny, nice day all around. So that's that. Then Sunday, the day of mania. It starts out a beautiful day, like, <clears throat> you know, because you know, my cousin lives in Old Bridge, New Jersey, so that's central Jersey, and obviously, um, Maine is at MetLife, so that's northern, or northern New Jersey, right? So, central New Jersey is beautiful, nice, warm, it feels great, um, you know, there, there, was a, there was a chance of showers later on in the night, so we knew that there was an, op- there was an opportunity for rain to come, so, but the weather was really nice, right? As soon as I get on the road, I start driving, I start driving, get up to MetLife. And the weather just completely like if if what if Old Bridge was like sixty seven, I swear by the time I got the MetLife, it had dropped like six seven degrees, like it was sixty, and I would and it would continue to drop throughout the day and night. So it got cold as I got the MetLife, and then of course throughout Mania it was cold, 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 and. Yeah, it just it just got colder as the night went on, and then of course it, it rained. <clears throat> Mania got lucky because it literally the showers literally held off. Mania ended like at twelve thirty, something like that. Twelve twenty-five, I think, was in the last bell between the pyro and everything going off. Uh, so about twelve thirty, twelve thirty-five ish. Um, Mania was over, and it started raining like literally like by twelve fifty. Twelve fifty is when I started seeing raindrops on my windshield. Like it was like okay, this is this is happening. So the weather was crazy. Um, the one thing that I got to say, man, Mania is too fucking long. It's just too, like, I love going to Mania. It's an experience. Obviously, I'm a wrestling fan, and it's, and it's great. My friends and I go, and it's, it's always a good time, but Mania is too fucking long. I mean, the, the company really has to do something about this now. Like, it's just, it's ridiculously too long. Like, I got, <clears throat> I got to MetLife, 
I left early, so I got to MetLife about 4.45. Pre-show started at 5.30. So parking, waiting for my friend to get there and all that, buying merch. So I, we, we knew we were going to miss most, most of the pre-show. We didn't, we had no, I, I'm sorry, I didn't care to watch, you know, the tag team championships, the Raw tag team championships and, you know, the women's battle royal and shit like that. I, I'm sorry, they had no interest in it. Sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, so by the time we went into the actual stadium, Food and whatnot got seated. It was like 6.30. Um, and we were just in time for the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. So think about it now. For me, for me, some people, uh, there was a lot of people. It was almost half full at 5.30 to start of the pre-show, right? But for me, I'm just only speaking for me. 6.30. I just mentioned that the show was over at 12.30. At six hours. Going on seven. In total, the show was seven hours long, bro. Seven hours. That's too much. And in the area that I was sitting, there were a lot of kids and families. And a lot of those kids and families left. They left like way before the main event. Because it was the main event. Then it was the, then it was the, uh, the, you know, the Triple H Batista match. Was it? I forgot. It's been a week already and I've forgotten the order. But the three matches to close the show were the Kurt Angle match with Baron Corbin. And then it was the Batista Triple H match. And obviously it was the, you know, the Ronda, the triple threat match, right? So in between the Kurt Angle and Batista matches, a lot of the family started leaving. It was too much. And I don't blame them. I got kids at home. You know, I didn't take my son. He would have loved to go. But I knew it was just it's too long and it's outdoors. It's cold. Like it's too much. Seven hours is too much for anything. Any entertainment, any entertainment media. But it's too much for a fucking wrestling show. It's too damn much. So WWE really has to address this. Like, yo, I, I know they want to get everybody on the show, but th- this is ridiculous now. This is getting stupid. They can't They can't have these shows go this long. It's just, it's dumb. It's too much. It's too much. And they're not even thinking about the fans that, you know, that stayed and made it a whole WrestleMania weekend. You know, they're not thinking about the fans that went to Wally Mania, the fans that went to all the indie shows around any areas on Thursday, Friday, the people that went to NXT, the people that went to 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 um, the Hall of Fame on Saturday night, the people that went to G1, the people that, you know, obviously all of Mania, and then the people that are still going to SmackDown and Raw the next, the next two nights. Think about it. That's almost, what? That's what? 20 plus hours? 20 plus hours of wrestling. That's too damn much. It's too damn much. So WWE really needs to address it. And then, of course, I don't know if you guys were, I don't know if the, I, you know, I didn't check the torch or I didn't check none of the major um, news outlets. It was big news locally when I was in Jersey. But um, so WWE failed to let NJ Transit know that the show was going to run long. I'm assuming NJ Transit had a, you know, kind of a ballpark figure that the show would be over right around like 11 or so. So, you know, by the time the show was over, what, 1230, almost one o'clock. The, the the rider the drivers the train operators the conductors the bus drivers every etc they had reached their peak hours so by that point there were no trains no buses available to bus and train people back to their locations in the city so uh, thousands of people were left out in the rain in the cold and it was cold and it was fucking raining so it was miserable you had literally thousands of people out with no transportation and of course the WWE took responsibility which I'm I'm actually surprised they actually took responsibility they said you know it was our fault our bad we didn't notify people and we'll do a better job so yeah WWE really needs to do something about this man the length of the shows it's too much it, it, it's it, it just it's too too damn long it's too much it's too damn long it's ridiculously long ridiculously long so but overall it was a great it was a great show um it was a really I would grade mania as a B plus it was a really good show um 
obviously the Kofi title change was the highlight of the night. The crowd went crazy. Some of you who follow me on social media seen the video I posted. Um, the crowd went nuts. Uh, the building was rocking the entire match. Um, definitely behind Kofi. Um, so that was the highlight of the show, I would say. Best match on the card. But it was a good show. Good show. Good mania. Good solid mania. I, I wouldn't put it in the upper echelon of manias. It was a good show. Good mania. Good mania. Got what we wanted if you're a wrestling fan. I thought the Kurt Angle match was was crap. Um, the Roman Reigns McIntyre match was just like, I've never been in a stadium where it was 80,000 people in it and just 80,000 people were just could care less. They were just like, they weren't, they weren't mean or snarky to the match. I mean, it wasn't your typical Roman Reigns match from like five months ago, but it was like, it was literally just indifference, indifference. So, but it was a good show. Uh, Takeover was great. Great show. Um, so yeah, it was all in all, it was a great weekend. You know, and then of course that Monday. So I, I another story on my on my weather, <laughs> my weather. You know, you guys know I love weather, so bear with me. Sorry. Um, but the weather in New York, we had, it was the hottest day of the year that that day in the Northeast, um, in the area. So that day it got up to eighty. 82 degrees. So it was, it was dope, man. And, and anytime you get 82 degrees in the city, it's always awesome. So, um, you know, just got to ride around a little bit. Um, you know, went through some of the old neighborhoods, Jersey city. I went into New York for a little bit. Um, and it was a great time. It was a great time. Have fun. And then, and then my horror story began. I'm not even going to get into the details of my horror story. Just know United Airlines is fucking trash. Do not ever fly United Airlines. If you, if you take anything from this podcast today, between me and Dalvin, my mania, you know, my mania recap, uh, <laughs> just recapping all the sport. Like if you take anything from this podcast, take this. United Airlines is fucking trash. They're terrible, awful. How have they existed for so long as an airline and provided just crappy service? Is beyond me. It's beyond me. It, it literally is beyond me. I, I don't even want to go through. Everything that happened on that damn, that whole experience. Just know I was on a flight that boarded twice, boarded twice, off boarded off the plane twice, delayed three times, and then eventually canceled. And then my rebooked flight the next day was delayed an hour. And the entire process was ill communicated, poor, poor customer service throughout, lack of information. I just, it was just, it was terrible, terrible, terrible. So United Airlines, I don't, I know I don't do fouls of the week anymore, but y'all get a fucking foul, like terrible. I hate United Airlines. And I already told my wife, I'm like, I don't care what the occasion is. I don't care what the, whether it's a, for leisure, whether it's for business, whether it's for family emergencies, I don't care what it is. I will drive before I fly United. I don't care if they got the cheapest fucking flight imaginable. I will drive before I will walk. I will take Greyhound before I do a United, another United flight. That's real. So. United Airlines, y'all are on my shit list. And I'm still battling with them to get the compensation. Because I called them and I was like, yo. Because they are, and you know how they try to offer you like a little 200 travel, $200 travel voucher. Like, oh, for your trouble and your and your terrible experience, you know, here's $200. Like, no, $200. Like, I miss, I miss two days of work. <laughs> I miss two days of work. I miss two days with my family. I was in an airport for close to 48 hours. Like, no, no, I'm sorry. No, that's not going to fly with me. I'm sorry. I'm still battling with them to try to get my proper compensation. So we'll see. But uh, yeah, United Airlines is trash, bro. So they're trash. But that's it for me rambling. Um, after the break, we'll have Dalvin Osorio on the podcast, man. Uh, like I said, I, I've been wanting to talk to this guy for a while. I'll finally have him on. We'll talk about, uh, you know, all things Jets, uh, 
recapping the offseason, previewing the draft, and then, of course, his background, his story. Uh, very, very cool guy. Very insightful guy. Guy with an interesting story, a background. So I hope you guys definitely enjoy it, man. It's, it's going to be a great show. So, uh, you know, here's uh, here's a couple words, and then we'll be back with uh, Dalvin on the podcast. Stay tuned. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, welcome back to the show. Uh, my guest this week is a guy I've been wanting to have on for, for a while now. We just haven't been able to get our schedules lined up. That's 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 just the way the world works sometimes. But I'm glad he's finally on today. Um, he is the uh, co-host of uh, Draft Season. He's a contributor for Turnover uh, Turn On Jets, uh, digital site. Uh, if you're a Jets fan, it's probably the number one site to follow if you're a Jets fan. Uh he contributes, writes articles and pieces on there, and then also hosts their uh, What's Your Point podcast, a weekly debate show, and as well as the Draft Season podcast, which you'll be recording today, matter of fact. So uh, you can listen to him on there. Mr. Dalvin, if I'm, am I pronouncing your name right, bro? Dalvin? Yes, sir. And, you're, and actually, you know what? You are, you, are the, you are one of maybe five people in my life that have gotten it right. <laughs> well, that's good, because I'm terrible with names, bro. I, I think... Yeah, I think I think we are off to a really good start because you got it right. Even Joe, you know, Joe, who's our editor at Turn on the Jets, the first like two months just absolutely butchered my name. But uh, yeah, Amen. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad. I'm 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 glad to be on. Word. Well, Dalvin Osorio, uh, Dalvin Osorio uh, is here with us this week, and uh, welcome, Dalvin. What's going on, man? How thank you? you, man. Thank you, thank you. I'm I'm good, man. Like I like you like you alluded to in the intro, we haven't been able to link up our schedules. That's probably the that's probably the number one issue that impacts dads. So don't let moms think that it only impacts them when they want to hang out with their yes, friends. Yes, uh, but it's <laughs> but I'm super pumped to be on, man. Like I've I've listened to, I've listened to you for a while, and honestly, I'm always super humbled when people ask me to come on. Uh, so you know, it's going to be a great show. So I'm really glad to be on with you. No doubt, man. I, like I said, like I told you offline, um, you know, I've just been following your work for the last couple months. Um, you know, just really, um, really, really checking out because I've always followed Turn On Jets, just kind of read the pieces. But I recently just started checking out some of the podcasts and uh, I was impressed by your work. So I decided this is a guy I want to talk to. So, yeah, man, we just we just that's how we do. You know, what I mean, I, I find that's interesting right. people to talk to and and uh, try to have them on the show, man. So, uh, you know, my the, 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 the pleasure is all mine for real. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, no, and I mean it's it's been it's been a good run, man. Like I've I've been at, I've been at TOJ now since 2011, um, and it was wow. actually crazy because like when I well, yeah when I when I got brought on it was myself Connor Rogers who's now with Bleacher Report and then uh, Cole Patterson who was with ESPN for a while and then the Ringer and so so it's always it's interesting because like they they went on to actually take the turn on the Jets experience and turn it into something big. I, that wasn't that wasn't my path, right? Because like I you know I do social services and stuff like that, but we we had gotten hired to just do the undrafted free agent pieces, right? Like it was just literally mm-hmm. us sitting down and pouring over film for days on end over guys that just hadn't gotten drafted. And then one day Joe was like, Hey, you know, do you want to be on the podcast this Friday or something like that? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And I'm now probably the most senior member of the site. Like I've been there long enough because Cole, Cole went on to go to different things and Connor went on to Bleacher Report. And that, I mean, it's been, it's been great to see the site evolve from what was really strictly a written site when I first started to the digital monster that it is now. So it's been great. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how I found you guys initially, too, is is the, un, the undrafted free agents, because, you know, usually after the draft, you know, the, a lot of the activity with the undrafted free agents really picks up. So um, right. I just happened to Google one day and just happened to find Turn On Jets. And 
as there was. So ever since then, I've been yeah. been following the site on, you know. So yeah, so it's 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 dope. It's dope, man. Uh, I just want to say you guys do an amazing job, man. Keep it up. Keep it up. Thank you, thank you for sure. I appreciate that. But uh, before we get into our beloved football team, uh, I like yeah. to give my guests a little bit of time to kind of introduce themselves. You know, give give a little give a little um, insight on their background, who they are, you know, how they got started. That you kind of alluded to that a little bit, but uh, just kind of give the audience that may not be familiar with Dalvin. Who is Dalvin? Yeah, sure, man. Uh, so like I, like I, like you mentioned, I, you know, I've been, I've been at TOJ now. It's been eight years and it's been great. Uh, Joe actually is essentially, I mean, Joe's one of my best friends and he's become one of my best friends in the world, which is great. Um, he was at my wedding. I was at his, um, you know, and he, you know, he's given me advice about life. So I actually, I ran for office last year down here in Montgomery County, Maryland. Um, and Joe was my social media manager for my campaign. So that, and wow. again, that's the nature of our friendship. So that's been great. Uh, I'm a, when I'm not having my heart broken by the New York football jets, <laughs> I am, uh, I'm a therapist at a high school actually down here in Maryland, which I love. Uh, so I've been a social worker for a really long time. I'm now, and I've now entered the political arena. Like I said, I ran for office last year. Uh, I'm running for a high profile position down here now that is, you know, council appointed, which is great. Um, I, I've written a lot of stuff that's been published on, on the route and, uh, just stuff about social justice. I'm really committed to social justice. I'm an organizer by trade. Um, but right now I, as my professional life, I work with uh, high school students who have quote unquote emotional disturbances, which is just a fancy word that people slap on, you know, kids of color because they think that kids right. of color are different. Um, and so I've been doing that for, for, for a while now. And it's great, man, because I, you know, I have a lot of, I have a lot of kids who go through a lot of different things that honestly, as you know, for me, I grew up in the inner city in New York and the people that saved my life were the people who were willing to sit there and talk to me for 15, 20 minutes, because by then the world had already written us off, you know, as, as a person of color, it just happens naturally. Right. And I, I find that the one thing that absolutely recharges my emotional capital is being able to help these kids get through what they go through. And then I'm able to talk to them about football and I'm able to talk to them about wanting to be police officers and I'm able to talk to them about wanting to be designers and et cetera, et cetera. And it's great. And it keeps me sane, man, because I have an eight month old, you know, who probably doesn't let me sleep. Although she's really great because she does, she sleeps through the night, which is fantastic. But being a parent is hard, man. And, it, and, and it's hard when you see the things that a lot of our kids go through. So I'm able to write about the Jets and do podcasts about the Jets. And that gives me a release, but I'm also able to impact children's lives in a real positive way. So that's, that's essentially me. That's that's awesome, man. Uh, just like to say thank you for that because we need more people like that, unfortunately, in the world. We don't have thank enough. You, thank you. So it's it's amazing, man. I applaud you for that. That's that's not an easy path. That's not an easy job, and and you do it, and it seems like you love it. So uh, I applaud you, and I thank you for that, man. We we definitely need more people like that in our inner cities, in our community, and everywhere, everywhere to help. Everywhere, not just kids everywhere. Of color, yep. but you know, white kids, black kids, Hispanic kids, yep. Asian, Asian kids. kids. I mean, yep. I mean, yep. Every kid out there, there's a lot of kids out there with problems. So um, I, I applaud you for that, man. Definitely, definitely. Um, Thank you. Thank how, did, you. How, did you, how did you get started in social service? Like, how did it, how did it become that? Like, was this something that you, that you always wanted to do? Or, or, you know, or was it something that kind of, you know, developed over time as you got older and, you, and, you know, and just from your own personal experience, that's something that kind of was blossomed in you? Well, so it's it's interesting, man, because like I, so I grew up without my dad. My dad wasn't in, in, in my life. I met my dad for the first time when I was 20. And, uh, and so that was a, 
life shaping thing, you know, cause my, I didn't know what my dad was like. I had heard stories. He was the constant, you know, let you down parent. And mm-hmm. I had to learn how to manage those emotions, the emotions that came from that when I was a kid. And so when I was 20, my dad was working on a campaign on a political campaign in New York, uh, for a guy who, who is now actually in, he's a, he's a congressman now. So he's, as he, he made it to Washington and, you know, won that won his first election that my dad helped him. And now he's in, he's in Congress. And my mom had, you know, called, me on my cell phone when, you know during the days that we had flip phones and she was like she was like do you want to meet your dad and i was like yeah i would love to and so i got in a cab went to go meet him and sure enough when he heard that i was coming he ran like he left the area or whatever and wow. because he thought i was gonna make a show and right, uh right. when i got there you know right like I, when i got there i his this woman came up to me who turned out to be the woman that he was with and she was like oh so you're you know such and such a son and i was like yeah yeah i was like i'm just here to meet him i'm, I'm not here to to cause the scene, you know what I mean? And my and he came back and he gave me a hug and it was awkward. But so my dad at that time was a community organizer, but he was also working at a school in Washington Heights that was failing and they needed, you know, they were looking for teacher assistance. And he was like, Oh, I hear that you're looking for a job because any man with a guilty conscience was the first thing that they go to. It's money, right? Like they, they figure out, oh, let me woo you with money. And uh, I needed a job at that point, man. Cause I was, you know, I was a college sophomore and college is expensive and I was tired of being broke. So I took the interview and I was, and I started to work at the bell foundation. And then within so I was doing, I was being a teacher's assistant. And the one thing that I learned was that I had no idea what was going on with my kids outside of school. I had them from two o'clock to five thirty, and I had no idea what was happening outside that was impacting them academically. And so I went and I got my bachelor's in business and I was looking for a job to help me pay my student loans because the, the TA money wasn't coming in. And my, my mentor at the time was like, do you want to run your own school? And I was 23 at the time and i had never had a grown-up job right and I, a, a grown-up job where i was making a salary with benefits i never had that i didn't know what the hell that was and he, he and i and i took the job man and i oversaw two schools that were failing i brought them out of receivership at 23 years old i was able to figure out how to get my kids to perform better academically and then knock their tests out of the park but again i still didn't know how their home lives was impacting them so I needed a, I decided to become a social worker and I met with this woman, uh, who is the, she's the daughter of Richard Blumenthal, who's a sen- who's actually a, a senator in, in the White House mm-hmm. now, in, in, a senator now. And, uh, and she said to me, she was like, I'm going to be very frank with you. We need, we need a man of color that can speak Spanish. And she was like, I don't care about your education. I care about if you're committed to these kids. And this was working in Harlem. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I can do it. And again, I had never been a social worker before. And she even said to me, she was like, if you ever tell anybody I said that, I will absolutely deny it to the fullest. And to this day, when I tell this story, because I've told this story on the campaign trail, I've told it when I've met people, if people call her as a reference, she absolutely denies the story. <laughs> but that's what she told me. She said that she needed, she, because, because there were so many kids, and again, so many white kids, Asian kids. Hispanic kids, black kids that didn't have positive male role models. And she right. was like, do, can you do this work? And I said, yeah, I can do this work. And I did that for, I did that for four years, man. Like, and it was great. Like we started, a, we started a youth leadership academy and got our 16 and 17 year olds to graduate on time. And it was great work. And then I realized I was like, I don't know where the money's going. Like, how are we affording, how are we not able to afford these things that all these kids need? And so then I, you know, I started a program from scratch and I, and I started meeting with stakeholders and I started doing that part. And then 
I said, well, I need to know what the other side looks like, right? The undocumented side, the kids that come here and their parents aren't with them. And so then I started working with undocumented immigrants when I came down to D.C. And then I did foster care, the kids that just got taken out of their homes. And how do we get them back? And then I ran for office because that's when I realized that ultimately it all comes down to who makes these decisions. And too often we have people in power in this country who have never walked in those shoes, who don't know what it's like to be poor, who don't know what it's like to sit there and have an eviction notice on their door. I do. I was 14 years old when we had an eviction notice on our door and my mom ripped it down before I could see it, thinking that I didn't see it because she didn't want me to freak out. And my mom got it done and figured out how to do it. A lot of people in power right now don't know what that's like. A lot of people in power don't know what it's like to only have five dollars and see your mom go to the supermarket to then spend money on the little bit that she could right like and and it's it's one of those and those stories those stories permeate skin color they permeate racial lines they permeate you know like they they go through all those things right because there's a white kid in kentucky who's having the same issue as the same thing as a black kid in maryland it's the same thing and so yeah so i mean now i'm in that process of getting into that arena but doing social services man was always something that like I found myself gradually building on no matter how much I tried to run from it, no matter how much I was like, oh, no, 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 this is too stressful. I can't do it. I found myself gradually building on wanting to do that and wanting to help people. Awesome. That's that's amazing, man. That That's that's Thank really, you. really dope. And um, so you talked about running for office. Like what was like the final what was the final? Because, I mean, I, I think a lot of people in your position at times probably think mm-hmm. about, you know, you know, running for office as an option, or maybe, mm-hmm. you know, if you're, you sound like you've been somebody that's always been involved and in trying to help people and, and, yeah. and you know, be involved in your community. But what was that final thing that told you like, okay, I need to, I need to finally make this happen. Like I need to do this. I need to, because that's a big thing, like actually committing to run for office, whatever office you're running for. I mean, right. you, you know, you're, you're basically putting yourself out there for the world or your community or whoever, yeah. to see, you know what I mean? And to yeah, scrutinize absolutely. in a lot of ways. What was the final yeah, I, what was the final thing that like made that like okay I gotta I gotta do this? Man, so you know what? I, I wish that I could say that it was one final thing, but it was it was probably like six or seven things, right? So like so when I was when I was twenty five, my brother was assaulted by six NYPD police officers and that like wow. you know, and then and, and, and it was it was a really crazy time for my family. And so that at 25, I mean, I'm 34 now and I ran for office last year when I was 33, I'll be 34 in a month. But so, so that was one, you know, and then seeing my mom have to lose the food stamps because I was going to a traditional school. And and at that time, because of the welfare act, they felt that, you know, you had to go to one of their state, one of their, one of their approved programs, or you had to come work for the food stamps that they were giving your parents. And my mom was like, no, he's in college. He's going to graduate. That's all we're doing. So like that. And that happened when I was 20 and, you know, not having my dad in my life and my dad skirted responsibility for years. So, th- so that was, it was big, but if I had to point to one final thing and, and a lot of people like to point to the election of Donald Trump as like the final straw for a lot of people. And again, I can't knock whatever your final straw is, but for me, I grew up in New York. So Donald Trump being a racist and a bigot wasn't surprising for people that paid attention right. or it wasn't surprising because they grew up in New York. But for me, it was the fact that there were so many people that took umbrage with the fact that we had a black man in office. And I found, I was like, man, like, this is the first time that I'm able to, that me, myself, as a man of color, I'm able to look at the White House and see somebody that looks like me, right? And then now we have this woman who, again, flawed or not or whatever, was an incredibly qualified woman. And now you have this woman come forward. And a lot of women are seeing themselves in that. Like, wow, this is the first time that I'm able to see a woman actually be a viable candidate. And to have that piss off so many people that they elect a bigot and a racist, I think 
all of that made me feel exactly how seeing my brother get dragged through the mud by the justice system and seeing my mom, you know, have to have to decide between me going to college and her being able to eat or being able to provide for our family. Right. Like those are things that absolutely stick with you. And the one thing that I will say to anybody that wants to run for office, I'm going to tell you to do it, man, because listen, I so I ran here in Montgomery County. Montgomery County is incredibly liberal for certain things and incredibly conservative for a lot of things. But Montgomery County is an incredibly affluent county. Like we are, I think, like the fifth biggest, the fifth by 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 population size. We're one of the we're top five in like population size. There are many facets to Montgomery County. And when I ran, I was the only candidate. I was the only male candidate of color in my race. And I can't tell you how many times people came up to me afterwards and were like, oh, my God, you're so articulate. I can't believe you're so articulate. And I thought it was the, the wildest thing to say to somebody because I was like, did you think I was there? Did you I've think I was there? Right, right. You get it, right? Like, like where people, yeah. where people make these comments like, man, you talk a little white. Excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> like, like I'm, it blows your mind. But realistically, man, it, it's one of those things where all those things came together and I decided that enough was enough. And I decided that my county where I was raising and my, we had found out that my wife was pregnant around that time. And we had to make a decision that it was like, listen, if we're going to raise our daughter here, then we need to contribute to what this county looks like. We need to build it brick by damn brick. And there's a lot of people like, so my, my friend ended up winning. My friend Andrew ended up winning. And he ended up, he, he, he won like, I think he had like 8,000 votes or whatever. And Andrew's great. Andrew, however, is a white man. And Andrew's a white man who, you know, who didn't steer away from talking about racial justice, right? But because it was coming from a white man, white people take that a little different. They just do. It just, it's just the nature of the business. But one of the things that Andrew made clear was his embrace of me as a new person, because we had just moved here. And they were like, oh, who's this person? Mind you, I spent my summers down here, right? So, like, I knew Montgomery County well. But this is my first time running down here, first time living down here. And they were like, well, who's this stranger coming on? And Andrew made sure that they understood how qualified I was, which now then people, you know, now I'm helping with an immigrant project and I'm helping to organize communities around a police bill that they're trying to pass. And I'm able to still do the things that I want to do. And I'll run again, obviously. But it's hard, man. But anybody that doesn't, I, I run. Run and run as you are. Do not feel like you have to change who you are because people are going to judge you regardless. But you need to stand in your truth and stand in your power. Absolutely. Absolutely. What was the hardest thing about running? Like, what was the because like, I think we all have this perception of, of politics, yeah. small or big. Obviously, we have our mm-hmm. obviously Washington and we all have our own we have our own opinions and, you know, and, and feelings towards everything that goes on in Washington, mm-hmm. but just even at a local level, you know, I think we all have this yeah. kind of perception of what politics, what, you know, what, what, who politicians are, what it, what it entails, the job, what was mm-hmm. the hardest mm-hmm. thing that you found in just running for office? Like, what was the thing that was like, wow, I, I never would have thought that this was, was this bad or this hard or is easy for, for yeah. that matter. Right, right. So I'll start with the easy part. I think the easy part was telling my story because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like this conversation that you and I are having. I've had this conversation on the trail before. Right. Like I've had this conversation where people are like, oh, so, you know, what was it like growing up in a single parent home? And then I can tell them. Right. So because, again, right. like I'm not ashamed of them. my mom. My mom is my mom is great. She's, she calls me every day. She calls more to talk to my daughter than she does to me. But she calls every day. <laughs> she calls every day. But it's one of those things where like my mom and I had a really, a really bad relationship when I was a kid. And then now as we've gotten older, like we've built this mutual respect because I also I have my own family. Right. And as you you can attest to this as a father, like we take care of our families and we make sure that our families are OK. We make sure. 
you know, all these things. So, so that was the easy part. The easy part was telling the story. The hardest part, I think, man, and the, here's, and again, it's going to the hardest part was telling the story because there were people that would cast doubt on your story. And I, I don't know about you, man, but I'm very territorial about my story. I'm very territorial about what I've been through to be here. Right. Like I, by all intents and purposes, and this is, this is no hyperbole. This is no BS. I should be dead. Right. Because I grew up in the Bronx in a really dangerous neighborhood. And you know, my mom, like I remember getting punched one day over a Yankee hat and having my coat stolen in the winter. Like these things were real to to me. And then now I live in an affluent neighborhood, like I mentioned, and I live in a suburb and it's great, but it's also, I know my daughter's not going to go through a lot of the same things that I went through. And that's okay. I'm really glad she's not, but my mom did the best she can. And I think, and I think, the, I think that was so hard because, again, while I was able to stand in my truth and tell my story, I found it incredibly difficult to have people look at my story as if it wasn't true, as if it wasn't authentic. And again, I'll make up something else. I'll tell you that you know I went to private school my whole life. If that makes you feel better, but my truth is my truth. Like I went to a theater school. I acted. I took dance. I did off Broadway plays. I was a very creative person. I did rap. I battle rapped outside my high school. I then became a rapper because I thought that's what I wanted to do. And I was always really good at it. And then I decided to do background work. So like Man on a Ledge with Sam Worthington, I'm in the background of that. I got paid thirty five hundred dollars to do that. So like my like those things were things that you just we just kind of had to do. But there were so many people on. I met a lot of really really great people. But there were some people that like I alluded to even with the oh my god you sound so articulate. There were so many people that it was they casted pity on me because they did not because in their bubble they didn't understand how it could be that bad and i found myself having to defend my story and so the, it's a double-edged sword on one hand the story was easy to tell it was much harder to have to defend it because it was my story wow yeah. so you mentioned you're running again um yeah if there's one thing that you could do differently um next time around you know just kind of because because yeah. As people, we always tend to analyze ourselves or most people, most mm-hmm. adult people, mm-hmm. I think, tend to, you know, analyze mm-hmm. and self-analyze and see what they did right, what they did wrong. Um, right. What do you what do you think is something that like the next time you learned, you lived it, you learned it and mm-hmm. it's something that you're going to do and do better or maybe improve upon that you probably. And it's not just that you probably did wrong. It's just that you probably, you know, a rookie mistake. Mm-hmm. Next time, I know I know the game better. I'm more experienced. Like, what's something that you could take from this past experience and bring it on with you? Bring it on with you as you run next time. So you're talking about what is my Sam Darnold? Don't throw the ball in the flat to Bilal Powell in week one. Like, what's that basically, moment that I'm like? Doing yeah, what's that moment? Throw? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, for me, man, honestly, it's don't be afraid to ask for money because running for office is expensive. And I was very uncomfortable asking people for money. Like I would go door to door with, you know, and again, I had, you know, like I mentioned, like I mentioned, Joe was my social media manager. So he would like he, him and, and, and another friend of mine, Daniel Mosher, they would create my graphics, right? So my graphics for Instagram, my graphics for Facebook ads, they would do all of that for free. Like I wouldn't have to pay them for that. So they would do that. Right. So they would take care of that. And then I would go out to, to door knock with my campaign manager, with my volunteer coordinator, like people who have volunteered their time and I didn't have to pay them at all. And I would go and meet people and shake their hands and all this stuff. And it was great. But at the end of it, my campaign manager would go, why didn't you just ask, her, why didn't you ask her for a donation? I was like, I don't feel right asking her for a donation, but here's, here's what, so I need to get away from not being afraid to do that because what I've found even now. So what's happening now is there's a gentleman whose name is Casey Anderson, who is the Montgomery, Montgomery County planning board chair. Now, 
that position pays $207,000 a year for starters, which is kind of insane to me because I'm like, wow, like you really need six figures in order to do what's right, which sure, <laughs> whatever works for you. But one of the biggest things that, one of the biggest issues that we're having now in Montgomery County is that our schools are overcrowded. And a lot of that conversation has turned into racial equity for families of color who are on the outskirts of the county and don't get the same resources. And Mr. Anderson is part of that issue because he's rubber stamped all kinds of development through the county. So we're talking about like high rises because usually what happens is a, a, build, a person that wants to build here, they come with a proposal, we give them a placeholder because they have to account for the fact that now people will live in these buildings, right? So it's like, listen, like if you're gonna if you're gonna build here, we need you to fund a school that we're gonna build here in order for people to be able to attend here. So when they when the budgeting process comes, we give them a placeholder. Then when it comes time to cash in on that placeholder and tell the building to fork up the money, the property managers to fork up the money, Mr. Anderson has opted to forego that. He's like, no, you know, it's fine. The building's up. We don't need that money from them. When realistically we do, because now we have our schools that are overcrowded. Our teachers are underpaid. It's crazy. So I'm being recruited to challenge him. I'm very much considering it um, because one thing that I do know as an organizer and as a social worker is that if you're struggling at home, there's no way you're going to do well academically. And a lot of people move to Montgomery County because even when I moved here, we were a top two school district in the country. And over the last three years, we've dropped from two to five and from five to seven. And which again is still great, but there's a reason why we're dropping. And part of it is because families can't afford to live here. So if you're a parent that has to work two or three jobs in order to be able to afford to live here, how are you helping your kid with homework? How are you attending PTA meetings? How are you making your voice heard? So I'm considering challenging him, which is why I said I'm, I like my plan was to run again in 2022. However, I'm being recruited to run against him now and I'm considering. So I, I will say that. And then, then I'm leaning towards yes. Um, but I think the one thing that it's that is not being afraid to ask for money. And what I found is the people that have voted for me have sent me emails that say, Hey, I will donate to your campaign the next time you run. So in theory, if like, if every person that voted for me donates $10, suddenly I have a war chest, quote unquote, of like $200,000, which is great. That's an insane amount of money to start with, right? Because realistically, I raised, for my, for my first run, I raised $12,000, which again, I was able to, and I'm a social worker, so I know how to, I know how to use money, but I was able to get business cards, pay my website, uh, buy, uh, postcards that we handed out, uh, buy buttons, stickers, like all these things. But a race like this, and this is a local race, you need money and you need to not be afraid to ask for money because this is still a job. You're still trying to figure out a way to help people, but you're trying to figure out how to do it in the most economical way, but you ha but you need money. You can't, it's very hard to win without money. Like one of the reasons that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez beat Joe Crowley is because she raised a ton of money. Like she did an amazing job. And part of it was because she wasn't afraid to ask for it. And I think you, I think you have to be, you have to be willing to do that. And I think that's a stumbling point for a lot of young folks, not even young people of color, but young folks in general. Young folks in general are scared to ask for money. They're scared to. Because of the negative connotation about it. And everybody has this kind of cynical yeah. view of politics and it being a money yep. grab. And, and in a lot of force, in a lot of ways it is, but. Right. Unfortunately, that's the game. You know what I mean? It's like we, you know, one day we'll be able to change the game where we take money out of politics totally but right now this is the system that we have and you know what i'm saying money is a big part of it so yeah I, I can see that i can definitely see where that would be an issue well hey we got some political news on the podcast today he is considering it so for there those in go. montgomery <laughs> county <laughs> i hope you guys are listening hey man uh i don't live in montgomery county i'm all the way in the pacific northwest but you got my vote man so definitely thank definitely you i appreciate that 
keep me posted on that, and I will gladly contribute to the campaign any way I can. So, um, thank you. I yeah. appreciate that, brother, for sure. Absolutely, man. We ne- we definitely need more people like you in office. Uh, that's for sure. So, uh, yeah, man. I- I'm not trying to bore the public for those of you that are not interested <laughs> in the political aspect of this, but I think it's a hell of a story, and I think it's 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 something that. Um, I think a lot of people will resonate with and could contribute and, and, and who knows, maybe somebody's listening to this epi- or will listen to this episode when it's up that might be in your same boat or might be considering exactly. you know, running. Exactly. And this is something that they need to kind of give them a, you know, a, a pat on the back or a pep talk in the, or ease them into doing it. So seeing that you, a regular guy like yourself with a family, a story, a background was able to do it. Anybody else can do it too. So you just have to just have to be committed, dedicated, and of course, like you said, be able to and be willing to ask for money because at the end of the day, yep. like you said, it's a job, it's a business. You know, you're trying to do something here, and it takes money. Unfortunately, that's the way the world works. Money is everything. So, Back. Um, yeah. So <laughs> let's let's transition over to our jets, though. Um, uh, just just a little bit recap for me. The off season has it got you know we and you have kind of talked online on Twitter and, and stuff and we've we've shared our our thoughts on the Jets and what they've done and things that we agree with and don't agree with. First and mm-hmm. foremost, um, just kind of give me a rundown of 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 the off season. Is it has everything gone the way that you would have liked it to have gone? Did you like some of the moves? Uh, just mm-hmm. kind of give me an overall rundown of of the off season as a whole. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean, I, I'll start with what I did like. I, I love that we signed Le'Veon Bell. Um, I think that a lot of people have forgotten just how good he is. And that typically happens with recency bias, right? Like if you haven't seen a guy play, you suddenly think like, oh my God, he's not good. Um, and that's how we get takes like, oh, you know, like is Alvin Kamara a top five running back in the league? And it's like, well, <laughs> I was like, is he? I mean, Le'Veon Bell's still probably better than him. Um, but so signing Le'Veon Bell is huge. Um, I think that's that's such a big move for Sam Darnold and such a big move for the team who for a long time has lacked star power. Like we had Darrell Revis, best corner to ever play the game, arguably the best defensive player for a good stretch, man, like three, four years. And then, you know, he tears his knee and then you trade him to Tampa, then he goes to New England, wins a ring. But there's a team that has lacked star power. And so now you've added a star in Le'Veon Bell. Um, I like the Jamison Crowder move. I think that that's a really good move. Um, I like that we, you know, traded for Austin Melee from the Raiders. I think that's a really good move. You put him on the offensive line, um, bring some of that Nigerian strength. My, my friend Dan's Nigerian, and he's very happy about that. Um, <laughs> but you bring a guy that can protect Sam Darnold and create some holes for Le'Veon Bell, which is huge, right? I think that's going to be big. Um, the one thing that I will say that I didn't particularly care for was the ignoring of the edge position. Cause again, I think you need an edge rusher, but I also think that that lets me know exactly which way they're going draft wise. Um, so you need an edge rusher, but not going for one in free agency that lets me know what you're trying to do. It also seems like once Anthony Barr pivoted and went back to Minnesota, it seems like the team didn't have uh, another move. Like they didn't, they didn't plan accordingly for that. They thought Barr was lost and that was it. I really like the CJ Mosley signing. I think that it does probably spell the end for Darren Lee, but CJ Mosley is a stud at the inside linebacker position from cover, can rush the passer, great at stopping the run. It's going to be interesting to see how Greg Williams uses him because I did feel like the Ravens didn't use him 
as a pass rusher as much as they should have. And I think Greg Williams will. Um, Brian Poole is okay. A lot of people like to say that he's better than Buster Screen. I actually think he's kind of just like Buster Screen. <laughs> um, so I, I, I don't I don't see him as this huge upgrade. I don't like the fact that they paid Daryl Roberts as a starting cornerback. That bothers me. Um, I wish that we would have taken a flyer on like another start, another corner, because Tremaine Johnson, I mean, you and I, guys like you and I were coming off the street and burning him on fly routes. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, well, maybe he was hurt. No, I think what happened is I think he got fat because he got paid and then decided like, oh, yeah, no, now I don't need to try. I think he showed up to camp overweight. It's why you saw a better Tremaine Johnson the second half of the year because he got into shape. The hope is that he shows up in shape because you're paying him too much money to be burned by the, you know, undrafted free agents of the world. It just doesn't make much sense. Um, but going into the draft, honestly, man, I feel I feel okay. I didn't like Adam Gates as the hire, to be, to be honest. I, I, I don't. I, I think that he was he was okay in Miami. He wasn't great, but he wasn't he wasn't good either. Um, I worry that because him and McCagnan are now on different time frames, right? Because McCagnan is now entering year five, and this is year one for both for 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 Gates. Um, I now wonder how it's going to turn out. But if I had to grade the offseason, I'd give it a I'd give it a B because any offseason that you land Le'Veon Bell, I think is huge. Yeah, I agree with you on on most of the takes. Obviously, um, I, I I agree with you. Um, I was a little bit on the fence on the Le'Veon on Bell thing, not because I don't think he's great. Obviously, we we all know the type of player the Le'Veon Bell is. I, I just right. feel like baggage and they having a year off and all the other things that come with Le'Veon Bell. Um, I, I just wondered if he was a Tremaine Johnson type, and we'll know. We'll find out. We'll find mm-hmm. out very quickly right. if he's that guy. Right. Um, I've always worried about Le'Veon once he got his money if. You know, he'd be one of those guys that get, you know, got fat and just resting on his laurels. We'll see. We'll see. Um, And, you know, the year off kind of concerns me. I mean, this is a guy that hasn't played football in a year. Um, What kind of shape is he in Um, from all reports and all everything that's been reported so far? uh, He looks good. He looks in shape. I've seen the pictures. He looks like Mm -hmm. the normal Le'Veon Bell. So I I think I think we're good there. Um, But we'll see. but yeah, that was my only it's also different when you get hit the first time, right? Like I think that's right, going to be right, the key. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. Like, that was the the first time. That I had. Yeah, that was the hesitancy yeah. that I had with Le'Veon. But of course, I mean, you can't you, you can't debate signing a multiple time, you know, Pro Bowl, All Pro level type running back. I mean, it's just yeah. it, it's, it makes too much sense. I love the C.J. Mosley signing. I would have loved the Anthony Barr signing. I, I do agree with you that the Anthony Barr signing or the lacks or the 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 lack of the signing of Anthony Barr it did kind of feel like a gut punch to the team and it felt like they never really recovered in free agency like it kind of felt like they had put all their eggs in the Anthony Barr basket and once he decided to go back to Minnesota it just kind of felt like the team didn't have a plan it just kind of was like oh shit what do we do now like we 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 our plan in free agency was Le'Veon C.J. Mosley and Anthony Barr and Anthony and Barr, Anthony yeah. Barr turned us down it kind of felt like they didn't have a pivot move so um yeah. i agree with you on that um i would say I, i'm i'm a little upset they didn't go after one of the big uh centers in free agency morris yeah. or yeah. Uh, paradis that's a disappointing aspect for me um i know paradis i don't know based on what you want to believe the jets never right. really were interested or he wasn't interested in the jets who knows with this stuff but it, it just seemed like there was never really dialogue between the two sides. Mm-hmm. Um, so that mm-hmm. was a little disappointing. Same thing with Mitch Morse. Um, so I, yep. I would have liked them to be after a little bit more aggressive on the on the offensive line, mostly on the center position, because I, I think that they definitely need an upgrade in that position. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, again, I, I would if I was grading the offseason moves, I would I would give it a B two. I, I you know I think Anthony Barr would think of the Jamison Crowder signing. What did you think of Jamison like, Crowder? I liked it. I I liked it. Um, yeah. It was it was okay. Like it, it was okay. It was one of those moves that you know it's not it's not going to wow you. It doesn't move the needle per se. Um, but it's a, it's a good solid football move. He's when he's healthy, he's a very good player. Um, key with him is staying healthy. Um, and he's a guy that's that's had some health concerns over the you know definitely last year and in the years prior he's had some a little bit of injury issues. But when he plays, when he's out there, um, he's a very very good solid re- you know slot receiver. Um, so yeah, I I, I, I like the move. I, I, every move that they've made. <clears throat> I've liked. I'm with you. Yeah. I didn't. I did not love the Adam Gase hire. It's grown yeah. on me now a little bit, um, just because you know we've had some time to kind of let it dwell on us, and you know it is what it yeah. is. They're not going to fire the guy now after the fact, so it's <laughs> right, right. Fair. Got to deal with it. Um, I, it just kind of felt like th- that to me, though. It just kind of felt like he was like their fourth choice. That's what it yeah. really felt. like. And it just kind of felt yeah. like they settled on Adam Gase because uh, he's kind of the only offensive guy out there that's, you know, worth giving a shot to. Like, I thought this was the most right. important coaching hire they've had in 20 years since the Parcells hire. Yep. I thought right. that this is the hire that you need to go big or go home. Um, the first guy that I wanted was Jim Harbaugh. I don't know how likely that would have right. been. I know people are <laughs> if you on Jim Harbaugh. I still think Jim Harbaugh is a hell of a coach. Michigan struggles aside. I think he's a hell of a coach. He's a guy that came within a fourth down and winning a Super Bowl. So I think him bringing him to New York, letting him work with Sam Darnold was was a home run for me. Let's yep. just say he wasn't interested or whatever. I, I think you pivot to Mike McCarthy. I, I would have liked Mike McCarthy. Mm-hmm. I know the mm-hmm. Mike McCarthy is kind of getting bashed out there and the articles and all that. Right. Um, right, right. Think, listen, he's a Super Bowl winning head coach. He wanted to coach the Jets. Um the guy's been in the playoffs. And, and, and Aaron Rodgers is kind of a wang. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, let's not act like Aaron Rodgers didn't bear some faults in that situation. So, um, yeah. So I was, I was, I was all in on the Mike McCarthy hire. I never loved the, the Baylor coach. I'm like, eh, you're bringing in a rookie coach, guy who's coached at Baylor. I know he's got NFL ties, but eh, I wasn't high on that. And then all these, some of the other candidates, you know, I didn't want them to touch Cliff uh, Kingsbury. Um, so some of the other hires weren't uninspiring. I, I guess Gase was the best of the bunch, I guess. So that's what's kind of made it grown on me. But yeah, I'm with you. I, I didn't, I didn't love the Adam Gase hire. Um, but it's grown on me. I worry I'm, about our, I worry about us as Jet fans collectively rationalizing it. It's, it's a Nick, it's a Knicks level. Knicks fan level kind of rationalization <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to things because we rationalize anything, man. I'm, I hear you. I'm with you though. Like I was like, man, Adam Gates, hell no. And I think for me, I think even like even the Le'Veon Bell thing, I rationalized that very quickly. Again, I like Le'Veon Bell, but a lot of the same concerns you had. I was like, man, that first time he gets hit, it's probably going to hurt. <laughs> He's probably going to take his money and leave. The Adam Gates thing though, I I I think you're right. I mean, they're not going to fire him. They're not. They're, they're, just, they're not going to fire him. They're going to let this ride out, and we just have to hope that it works out. But we Jet fans, Jet fans, Nick fans, and Met fans, nobody rationalizes things like those, like those three fanhoods. Nobody, nobody. Yeah, and and I'm a fan of all three, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> very, very much with you on that one. Um, what, what move were you surprised that they didn't make? We talked about the center position not being addressed, but is there any yeah. other moves that? Um, that you felt like they should probably should have addressed in free agency somewhere. I know you talked about pass rusher as well. Um, I, I thought yeah. that they should have, 
I, I'm, I'm surprised they let Roberts go, uh, Andre Roberts go. I, I, yeah. I thought he had yeah. a very, I, he, I love the contribution that he brought to the team last year. Um, I'm surprised. Yeah. I'm also surprised at Meyer, letting Meyer go walk. Yeah. I know he kind of got yeah. overpaid by um, um, who was it? Carolina, yeah. I believe. Or Seattle, um, I think. I think it was. Yeah, one of those. Um, but yeah, Jason Meyer was had been a very, very good kicker for you, and to let those two special team guys go was a little bit of a surprise. And also the Morris Claiborne, the lack of a, interest mm-hmm. in bringing back Morris Claiborne or making back a solid corner to pair with Jermaine Johnson. I know Daryl Roberts is a guy that they have high hopes for, but um, you know, talk about that. Is there any other move that you would have liked to have seen them do or a guy that they, you would have liked them to see them keep? I mean, every single one that you mentioned was was tough for me. It was not being in on Justin Houston when because I, I always yeah. felt like yeah. with all the money that you had, you didn't want to have to go into the draft and feel like you have to reach for need, right? And granted, like I think them not like I think had they sealed the deal with Anthony Barr, you add him, I, I would have really liked that signing. So you add Anthony Barr, I think maybe there's more of a chance that you then take you know, somebody else or whatever the case may be. And clearly they had a plan, like you mentioned, but not signing Justin Houston, who wouldn't have prevented you from drafting good Josh Allen, if that's the route that you wanted to go with. Um, so I, I, I find that very alarming. I find the fact that Darren Lee is still on the team kind of alarming um, yeah. because it's one of those things are like, just take the fifth round pick. You traded one for a Samele already, take a fifth round pick or whatever it is. Um, I also think like while I like the Jamison Crowder signing, I there's a lot of pass rushing talent available. And like you have Frank Clark who, you know, with his DV pass, I highly doubt McCagnan takes him. But then you still have Jadavion Clowney available who hasn't signed his tender with the he hasn't signed the franchise tag with the Texans and McCagnan scouted him. So why haven't you called them? And again, we don't know, but by all intents and purposes, he hasn't called them to say, Hey, would it be a D Ford like trade where we offer you a 2022nd? The fact that they weren't in on D Ford is also surprising, right? Because here's a guy who the last two out of three years has been a really good pass rusher. And the Jets have had a black hole at edge rusher, man, for years. Like it's just, it's just nobody to get to the quarterback consistently. And the one thing that Jamal Adams asked you for was dogs. So go get him some. Now, again, I think that this does that they're going to lean towards one of the, one of my favorite players in the draft, probably my favorite player in the draft, which again, maybe it's fine. Maybe it's I'm panicking prematurely, but I, I find it incredibly alarming that you didn't sign an edge rusher and you didn't sign a center again, no, depending on who you believe, like you mentioned, but no Paratus, no Morris. I don't get it. I really don't. So those two positions by far, because you have a second year quarterback, you saw what a bad center can do to him. And then now you don't have a, a game changing pass rusher yet. I agree. I, I completely forgot about the Jesse Houston one, but I was fuming about that, especially the money that he ended up getting. I was just like, really? This was this was chump change. Like you could have easily added him right. to the mix and you get a guy who, when healthy, is still one of the best pass rushers in the league. I, I didn't understand that yep. at all. I, I, I really didn't. Um, so let's you know, let's transition over to the draft. Um, you know, this is your this is your area of expertise. Yeah. <laughs> um, who's a guy that. Well, I'll start with this. Obviously, a lot of the names have been thrown out there. The Jets have the third pick. Do you do you see them as a? What do you? What's your philosophy? Do you think they should trade back? Do you think they should stay at three? What's your philosophy first and foremost with the Jets on that? In that so, position? in an ideal world, I'm trading back because I think the Jets still have a lot of holes and they need they need more picks in order to fill them. Um, so, I'm definitely a proponent of trading back. Usually, however, I think that there are there are two there are three blue chip guys. Uh, and one of them you're not going to take because you're not going to take another interior defensive lineman. And I'm not talking about Quinn and Williams. I'm talking about Ed Oliver. But So you're not going to take him. And then you have Nick Bosa and Josh Allen. And Nick Bosa has gotten a lot of flack recently for his, you know, 
less than stellar social media posts that he had to take down because the 49ers told him that they were going to take him and et cetera, et cetera. Right. Kind. And less had, than stellar. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, less than stellar social media stuff. But then you have good Josh Allen from Kentucky who has gotten better every year, coming off a monster year, 21 sacks in the SEC, which you cannot make up. Like you, there's no way to fake that. And the year before he had 10 and a half, he's gotten better every year. I think that this is, this is the year that, and also because of there's a lack of quarterback quality in this draft. Like I believe Kyler Murray's only worth the number one pick to Arizona. If there was another team up there, I don't think Kyler Murray's even in the discussion, yeah. but I think because Kingsbury knows him, I think that it's one of those things where you, you prop up the guy that knows your system, but it also could very be likely that the Cardinals do not take him and they go Bosa and then the Niners go Quinn and Williams because they have a hole in the middle of the defense and they traded for D Ford. And then you take good Josh Allen because he's going to be a 15, 16 that guy at the next level who can cover also. And that's kind of the, the underrated part of his game is that not only can he rush the passer, he has a great first step, but he also can cover too. So you take him at three. So in an, in an ideal draft where there were at least a couple other quarterbacks in the mix, like say the Jets had the third pick in the draft next year with, with such a draft, with a draft class where you have Herbert and Fromm and Tua, right? Or even the year after, if you had the second pick where Lawrence is finally able to declare from Clemson, then okay. But this year, like Dwayne Haskins, I think is probably going to be the best one because he has his prototypical size can make every throw, but he's only started one year, so you have to worry about that. Then you have Tyree Jackson from Buffalo, who I think is really, really good and has things that you really can't teach, but also he is he gets hit a lot and he scrambles a lot. And I think you worry about that. Will Greer has a strong arm and I think I liked him all year, but he's not really being talked up as one of the top quarterbacks. And then you have Drew Locke and Daniel Jones, who I really don't like in the in the in the in the top half of the of the first round, but they're being talked up as guys that are going to go in the at ten and at seventeen, et cetera, et cetera. Um the Jets are just in a really weird spot, man, because they're picking third in a draft that doesn't have a clear cut top quarterback. If they, if this was a normal draft, like if this was last year and again they were picking three, but say they started the year at three. The Jets could have mm-hmm. theoretically traded back to six and still gotten one of the top quarterbacks, right? They could have gotten Rosen or they could have maybe taken Lamar Jackson if they really wanted to swing the dice like that. Um, who knew that the, the, the Browns were going to take Baker Mayfield, that the Giants would be stupid enough to pass up on one of the quarterbacks that they take on Barkley, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I, in an ideal world, I would trade back, get more picks and land a bunch of blue chip guys. But I just, I don't see that happening at all. I think they stay at three and they take Josh Allen. What's your favorite player in the draft outside of you? Know, you talked up Josh Allen, uh, yeah, you know, a guy yeah. you love a lot. But just you know, outside of the Jets, just in general, who's your favorite player that you've covered that you've researched? Uh, you know, in this whole draft lead up. Yeah, so I'll give you two. Ed Oliver, who I think hasn't been talked about enough. He's the number two player on my board. Yeah, he has not been talked about enough. And he's a guy that was good all year, and he was good last year. Uh, the day of the draft on turnonthejets.com, I'll, my top 300 board will be out. And, like, during the draft, I'll add in comments and stuff of, like, where they went and stuff like that. So make sure to bookmark that when it drops. But Ed Oliver is one of them who, again, insane first step, incredibly athletic for a man his size. A, a man that is almost 300 pounds should not be moving like that. I'm a WWE fan, as are you. And I know we're used to seeing big men like that move, but Ed Oliver should not be moving. <laughs> as quick as he's moving yeah. off the line. And then another guy's Brian Burns, man. I really like Brian Burns. I think that he's he's probably as a pure pass rusher, not not encompassing all the other things that go into being a defensive member, but as a pure pass rusher, he's probably the best player in this class in terms of getting to the quarterback, even better than Nick Bosa. And then I'll give you a third guy, DK Metcalf, man, who, again, if you were going to roll the dice on a trade back and take somebody with the insane potential, you go with this kid who's an athletic freak. The film doesn't lie. He can he doesn't he's not a body catcher, he's all hands. And yeah. 
he's still developing. He's still young enough to craft that ceiling. He reminds me a lot of Terrell Owens, who, again, T.O.'s a Hall of Famer. He should have been in the Hall of Fame years ago. You're talking about a kid who developed into one of the premier receivers in the league. D.K. Metcalf can be like that. So those three guys are guys that I really, really like, and I'm interested to see. And the hope is that they don't go to AFC East teams and they go somewhere else. But I really think Metcalf is going to end up in Buffalo. And Josh Allen Josh Allen can't overthrow 6'5", 230 pounds. That one, Josh one, Allen, would think, right? one would think. One would think. <laughs> one would think. One would think. <laughs> so who's the guy that you just that gets a lot of love, a lot of hype that you're just not seeing it? You're just like, eh, I'm not there with this guy. Who, who's that guy? Rashawn Gary. Rashawn Gary. Hands up. Hands up. Really? <laughs> yeah, hands up, man. There is, and I and I watched a lot of Michigan games. And a lot of people like to point out to the fact that he was hurt, but even when he was healthy, he wasn't very good. Um, he got beat off his blocks a lot. He, he doesn't have he he. A lot of people wanted to say when 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 he was being mocked to the Jets, a lot of people were like, "Oh, here he's Vernon Golston. He's Vernon Golston." Listen, man, Vernon Golston <laughs> was at least productive at Ohio State. Rashawn Gary, Rashawn Gary can't rush the passer like Vernon Golston can, and and so I refuse to compare the two. I think that's insulting to Vernon Golston. I think Rashawn Gary pisses me off, man, because and he would piss me off if he's the pick because he's under. Size, he gets pushed back a lot and putting him next to Leo Williams, who's the king of the almost sack and putting him next to Henry Anderson, who can probably get to the quarterback. But again, like, I, yeah, no, Rashawn Gary is the guy that I would absolutely scream at my TV if he's the pick. Any, any other guy that, that, that's, that just gets a lot of love, a lot of draft buzz. And you're just like, I don't see it. Jawan Taylor from Florida. I, and I don't know why. I don't know why. And I know a lot of people talk him up as the best offensive lineman in this class. And you know, you know what it is, man? And I'll tell you straight up. I worry about guys that didn't do it all year. And then once we reach the offseason, January or February, suddenly they're talked up as the best guys. Why? The film didn't yeah. lie to you. The film was what it was. What made you change your mind? And nobody can offer an opinion. I'll, I'll tell you, so before the college football season started, I had Greg Little as the best offensive lineman, followed by Jonah Williams and Trey Adams from Washington. And then I had Dillard and I didn't even have Taylor in my top 32. I didn't, he was, he was in my top 32. So like, and then, and then I watched and Jonah, uh, Jonah overtook Greg because I thought Greg was a little too light on his feet. And, and again, you could be like that if you're DeBrickershaw Ferguson, but I don't think Greg Little's that polished, right? So Jonah yeah. overtook him and then Dillard overtook Little. I still liked Adams, but he broke his foot at Washington. They said he was going to come back. Um, but I, Jawan Taylor wasn't a guy that jumped out at me. So now that, now that we've seen them in shorts and, you know, in shorts and sneakers, why on earth would that change my mind? You're not going to play on Sundays in shorts and sneakers. That's not going to happen. And I think, yeah, I think he's the, he's the guy that I hear constantly talked up at number three that really pisses me off on the offensive side of the ball. Rashawn Gary is the guy on the defense side of the ball that I just absolutely do not want the Jets to take. Interesting. Interesting. Well, it, sh- it should be uh, – I can't believe it's almost two weeks. It feels like the draft season is just too long. I really, really <laughs> wanted it to be shorter. Like, I don't know. As a fan, it's just like it just takes forever sometimes with these drafts. This year's felt a little shorter than most years, but, I mean, I don't know. I felt like last year – I think it's with the anticipation of the quarterbacks. Last year just felt like forever, yo. Like, right. It was just like, damn, let's just get here already. Like, But, no, yeah, it's, it's my absolutely. favorite time of year. I love the draft. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely be following, man. Hey, Dalvin, man, uh, I know you got to run, but before you do, um, first of all, thank you for joining us and being a guest on the show. Thank you, man. No, no doubt, man, no doubt. Uh, Before you go, man, you know, use this time to plug your social media, um, everything, turn on Jets, uh, all the political stuff, everything that you, everything you want people to find you and find out about you, go ahead and plug it, man. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. No, and th- again, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really glad that we could do this. It was a great conversation. Um, you guys can follow me on Twitter at DA underscore Osario. Understand my Twitter account is not for the faint of heart. Um, so you should be fair warned. Um, uh, another thing that I really want to plug is uh, my friend, a good friend of mine, Sean, and I launched a shade darker three months ago. It is a publishing company aimed to essentially add voices to the creative landscape. And we are uh, looking for submissions. Uh, if you have short stories, poems, novels, screenplays, anything, um, we were able to secure uh, a grant from the Robert Johnson Foundation to do the work that we're doing. Uh, so if you guys have anything out there that you want to send our way, uh, feel free to hit me up on Twitter. I'll send you the, e- the submission email. Um, we're currently editing our first anthology, working on our first feature film, uh, which is actually really, really cool. Uh, so the script is being worked on right now. Um, we're also releasing a poetry picture book from from a, from from one of the authors that sent us our stuff. So yeah, we're constantly looking for stuff. Feel free to reach out to me. Uh, if you want to find my football stuff, turn on the jets.com. I write there all the time. Like I said, I'm the senior writer. I'm like the the Scarface, but like the rapper version of the, not the, <laughs> you're going to come into our house and I'm going to have a ton of coke and guns lined up. I'm the, the rapper version of the Exactly, exactly. Um, but no, it's been, it's been a, a pleasure. Uh, draft season, I'm the, I'm the co-host of draft season, also the co-host of What's Your Point, which will be back in the fall. Uh, it's our version of PTI, or as we like to call PTT, pardon the turbulence. Um, so look out for that. Uh, I also have a medium page where I write about, you know, stuff that's not just football, you know, we're talking about, you know, political stuff, et cetera, et cetera. So feel free to follow that. Um, yeah. And honestly, I'm just incredibly humbled that, that to be on with you. And again, I look forward to being back on once we can, because we can, we still, we still got to talk about Endgame. We still got to talk about Game of Thrones. There's so much that we can talk about. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, an hour is not nearly enough. An hour is not enough. An hour is not enough. But thank we'll you so much for having me on, man. Oh, no doubt, man. I, like I said, I've wanted to have you on for a while. And this is this is, you know, the pleasure is all mine. And we'll definitely have you back on because we got a lot of things to talk about on the political. Absolutely. Every day. So we'll definitely have you on, man. Dalvin, thank you so much for joining me, man. Uh, have a happy, safe, blessed day, man. I appreciate you coming. Thank on you so much. You too, brother. All right. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, welcome back to the show. I'd like to thank Dalvin for being my guest this week on the podcast. Please make sure you subscribe to What's Your Point and Draft Season, all podcasts which are available on the Turn On The Jets podcast network, which is available anywhere where you can find podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Stitcher, anywhere where you can find podcasts, you'll be able to find those podcasts. Um, and also make sure you follow him on social media, man, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, anywhere where you can find him, um, he's there. So check it out. Uh, if you're a Montgomery County citizen, uh, make sure you follow him and support him, man. He's a really good guy. We need more people like him with his background, his knowledge, his expertise, and his story in politics, man. So he's a really good guy, really insightful. I hope you guys just got a glimpse of that um, just by listening to this interview. If any of you listened to this interview, but if you did, uh, I hope you guys got an insight of that. I really, really appreciate it. Had a great conversation with him, and I think he's a really great guy. And and um, I think it's it's I think he's one of the people that we need in our elected offices. I really, really do. So go support him when he does officially announce that he's running again. So uh, yeah, go do that. Um, But that's it for me this week. Uh, Thank you as always guys for supporting the podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at the manual Brown on Instagram at the manual Brown, Facebook manual Brown. And of course, Snapchat Manny bro 15. You can follow the podcast at AGS pod on Twitter, AGS podcast on Instagram, any given Sunday on Facebook. Make sure you also become an AGS nation member as well. Um, 
And uh, yeah, man, that's it. That That's it. That's all the social media sites. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening, for supporting the show. Without you guys, the listeners, there is no podcast. So once again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being the most important part of this podcast week in and week out. Hopefully you guys have a happy, safe, blessed week today. This week is going to be a better week than my my previous week. I know it. But just just law of averages is going to be better, right? <laughs> it has to be. Uh, no plane flights and, and no terrible United customer service. So that's, that's a plus, but yeah, man, I hope you guys have a happy, safe, blessed week. Make sure you check out all the other podcasts on the dead end podcast network as well. Um, dope shows, man. Go ahead and check those out. I am out of here. Shout out to Tiger Woods for winning the masters. And I hope you guys have a happy, safe, blessed rest of your week. All right. Peace.
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. 